Yes, you are. Because you love the combination news and entertainment you can find only on the John Curley Sherry Allegra Show. Sherry's got a new song she's working on, so let's be kind. She said she's going to try it out. It's called He Loves the Big Girl. Here's Sherry Allegra. <laughs> Stop it right there. Stop her. Stop her. Andrew, stop her. Stop her. All right. Sherry, thank you. Thank you. Thank thank you. Sherry, Sherry, thank you. That was for you, John. (laughs) You like the big girl. Give myself a slice. Thank you, Sherry. Appreciate that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) You finished? Are you? (laughs) Oh. Oh, is this way it's going to go today? Driving it. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it's not going to come as a great surprise to anybody under the age of, what is it, 40 or something like that. Seattle ranks number one in major cities. The people avoid the phone. Twenty-six percent of residents talk to someone socially on the phone less than once a week. We kind of talked about this before numerous times. There's this thing called phone phobia. We even had Jacob come on and talk about how he's uncomfortable on the phone and doesn't want to talk on the phone. And Seattle ranks number one for people least likely. I assume it's because of the demographics of the age of people um, in Seattle and those people. I don't know how they surveyed anybody, but what we find that nobody likes to talk on the phone. They ask why. Yeah, this isn't anything brand new, but what no. they found is that this uh, city of Seattle is the number one uh, phone avoidance city in the country. It's wow. called telephonophobia, mm. and it's a form of social <laughs> anxiety. They say that about 31, uh, there's 3.1 million uh, people in Seattle. 26 of them only talk, 26% of them only talk on the phone to family and friends less than once a week. Yeah. So they hmm. they text, they email, they I guess you know, uh, Snapchat, do all those other things, but they don't want to talk on the phone. Uh, San Francisco came in behind Seattle at twenty percent. They chalk this up to a couple of different things. One, they said that people in Seattle are a little more socially introverted, mm-hmm. uh, so that maybe they may not even be that inclined to talk on the phone even before this, or make uh, eye but contact. It, oh yeah. Uh, um, or be mad at you for using an umbrella. Uh, uh. So, <laughs> so it's it's also the age. It's millennials. It's it's you know uh, Gen Z. All of that. They just they grew up using devices where you don't have to talk. They grew up mm-hmm. with that, so they're not used to it, and they are truly afraid of talking on the phone. Oh gosh. Did you have rules at your house when the phone would ring? What were you supposed yes. to say? Right. Ellica residence. Sherry wait, wait, speaking. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Jeez, Sherry, the phone hasn't even rung yet. Oh, okay. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Ellica residence. Sherry speaking. Uh, I was surprised. That- <laughs> and they would pay me to do it. What? They would give. Yeah, they'd give me like. 50 cents every time I answered the phone properly. Really? Ellica Residence, Sherry speaking. 
Give me my money. Give me my money. Give me my money. Oh, Teeny didn't want to talk to you. Teeny didn't want to talk to you. Oh, was that uh, who was calling? Yes. Um, yeah, that was the other one. We had a um, uh, Curly Residence, uh, Michael speaking, um, and then it was, it was never for me. It was always for my dad. Yeah, you get your father for me. Said, dad, dad. And we had to like learn to cover the phone with your hands. So oh, we weren't allowed to scream to anybody. We had to put the phone uh, down and go yeah. find them. No. Okay, yeah. No. Because if you're answering answering politely, you know, Sherry, uh, Ellicott residence, Sherry speaking, Mom! It sort of defeats the, you know, the whole polite thing. Yes. Um, okay, trivia question for you. When the phone first was released to the general public, you ready for this, Sherry? Mm-hmm. They didn't know people when they first came up with the idea. Was it Edison did the phone? I think it was at Edison might did the phone. That they said, well, what should you say when the phone rings? Like, what are you supposed to say when the phone rings? How do you answer the phone, Sherry? This is a trivia question for you. You may think about it. Don't you play some fun game show music for you? Okay. What do they suggest that you say when you answer the phone? Um. Hey there. No, hey there. No. Uh. Form of ciao, ciao. Question, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, who is Ander- Alexander Graham Bell? Now, Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is anyone? Oh, wanna, I'm wanna hint? Want a hint? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Think of our nautical backgrounds. Oh, aye, aye, Captain. Ahoy. Oh, what ahoy. Is, what is imagine. ahoy? Alexander Graham Bell suggested ahoy. Ahoy. <laughs> That's so dumb. Imagine that. Ahoy. Okay. Why is hello okay? Because that's a typical greet. You see somebody on the street, ahoy, John. Ahoy. Ahoy, <laughs> listeners. No. <laughs> no. I'm like, okay, you do the ring ring again. Ready? Ring ring. Ring ring. Elica resident. Oh. Ring. Uh, Elica resident, Sherry speaking. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Okay, there you go. Say hello. All right, there we go. Everybody knows nobody uses the phone. Study that was done a couple of years ago basically said that if you do talk on the phone, it helps improve your mental state, uh, emotional and social connections to the individual on the phone. So much more can be um, experienced by hearing the voice, the pauses that the person takes. You're really relating in a sort of, you know, uh, purely audio, obviously, just in the audio way, just through your ears, hearing the specific sounds of the, the distress that a person might have or the embarrassment, all the extra things that go into being able to, uh, you know, sort of subconsciously communicate with the individual that is lost on text. And then also the text is lost also because of, I, for a while there, I thought, I'm never going to have to send a text. I have to do the sideway emoji face of like, only kidding. But then you realize so much of your text messages can be misinterpreted that you have to fill it in with a whole bunch of like heart first and then the emoji and then the poopy sound and all the rest of the stuff. It's like, God, why do I just pick up a phone and just call the person? So I try to do that more often. And, yeah, I, and, and it's also this weird thing like nobody wants to feel like they're imposing on you. The phone mm-hmm. rings. It's like, well, I'm right in the middle of something really important. My brother, when um, call waiting came out, he called the phone company and said, I don't want this service. Will you get it for free? He said, I don't want it. I, I think it's an incredibly rude thing. 
you're you're prioritizing. Somebody's calling you up. Hey, I just want to let you know what finally happened. So my dad, they X-rayed him, and the uh, what they found was so the tumor is mostly. And then uh, can you can can you hold on a second? Because call waiting, you're prioritizing. You look mm-hmm. at your phone, and somebody else more important than that other person is going to cut in on you. And then you get the hey hey, I gotta let you go. I gotta I gotta cut you loose. I hate that. Well, you remember in the beginning, remember yes. you didn't know who was call who was calling in. It's only been in the last, I guess, 20 years where we could see it. But for a while, you didn't know who it was. They didn't mm-hmm. have a display for that. You just knew somebody else was calling. And maybe it's a, maybe they're better. <laughs> so you're That's what always thinking. Yeah, it's always somebody better in the other, that, yeah. on the other line. Uh, maybe this yeah. is my big break. I got to get this call. Do you guys remember emergency breakthrough calls? No. Yes. This was a thing. So if the phone line was busy, and we this is when I was a kid, like, you know, 10 years old or something, you could call, you call the operator and you'd say, I'd want to make an emergency breakthrough call to such and such a number if their phone was busy. And they actually bump in and say, hey, the Joe's on the phone and needs to talk to you for whatever reason. You give them some dumb reason and they do it. And I've you did this that. a lot? I would. You know, when I was a kid, yeah, I thought it was. I didn't think it was intrusive or annoying in the least. Looking back on it, like, wow. Wait, who <laughs> would you, you emergency break into? Yeah, like our friends. So you know, we just sit around and talk on the phone all day when I was, you know, the, like eleven or twelve years old. And so, if the phone was busy for some reason, we just assumed that it wouldn't be that bothersome to do an emergency breakthrough. Thank you, Joe, for bringing up a bit of forgotten history. It's crazy. It's groundbreaking. It's new. It's making history. Yes, the emergency breakthrough. Uh, I saw the story from a former Boeing executive, or I, I guess he was an executive. He says that he does not want to fly on a Boeing plane. This is from The Guardian. He then explains why. And I sent a piece over to Sherry, if you saw it or not, from uh, Jacobin, the um, socialist communist uh, newspaper that interviewed the guy. And he went on to say, the problem is, that Boeing and a Spirit, Spirit's out of Kansas, they're the ones that make a lot of the parts that used to be part of Boeing and then they broke off and they're on their own. They're there in Kansas. This guy followed all the money that came from Boeing to uh, and Spirit to Maria Cantwell and to the rest of uh, folks that are on various boards there or on various uh, committees in Washington, D.C. He says, you know, it sent millions and millions and millions of dollars lobbying them to make sure that the FAA would, you know, eh, okay, get it back up in the air again. They had letters from the congressmen or the senators in Kansas saying, you know, this is important. This is a huge part of our, our, work, fa- uh, our work base, and we need these people to be employed, and they're building those planes, and we really need to make sure you guys realize that whenever these planes aren't flying or aren't being built, it's really affecting us here in Kansas. I'm sure Maria Cantwell made the same statement to the FAA and to others to put pressure to get Boeing to, you know, just get those planes up, get them out there and get them on the air or in the air. So this guy, former executive, says, yeah, he just won't fly in a Boeing plane. Right. And and another one said, I would not have my family fly on one because the, the one guy actually had worked at the factory, I guess, and yeah. he witnessed all the shortcuts, all the things that they did and the pressure that they were under to get this out as fast as possible. Just ship it. Wasn't that the sign that was there yeah. in the, uh, was that right. the Everett or the Renton one? I forget where it was, but boy, that really kills morale. I said, yeah, the people just feel just like they don't, nobody above them cares about it. That it's uh, something like 
uh, clowns building it and then monkeys supervising or something like that, describing the stuff that's uh, going into the productions of uh, Boeing's planes. Now, Boeing, of course, because Boeing ships some out to South Carolina, some of the work is being done there. Then Renton and Everett still there in Union, South Carolina not. Um, and then pieces of it being built in various other parts of the United States. A lot of people in Boeing didn't like that. And sometimes some of these Boeing guys, the Union guys, I talked to a Union or a Boeing guy that had been there for like 30-some years. He said, yeah, occasionally they wouldn't sabotage it too badly. They wouldn't damage the plane, but they would leave tools in there and stuff to sort of mess it up a little bit to sort of uh, push back on the Union, the non-Union. He said, but, you know, never to, to – to damage the integrity of the plane, but as a way of just sort of screw you, you know, I'll leave a wrench in there. Um, but for Boeing, they continued to tell everybody, don't worry, it's we're going to look at this. The uh, CEO of Boeing says, nope, transparency, 100%. We're going to make sure these planes are flying right all the time and you're not losing bits and pieces of them while they're in the air. So still working their way through. Well, uh, the FAA, in their report, they said that there are still opportunities for retaliation to occur, uh, having to do with salary and furlough ranking. Even they acknowledge mm. that this is this is the type of stuff that goes on. Yeah, they're going to go on strike. I think I, is it September or something? They want to go out for they want to get a forty percent increase, a three year forty percent increase. I don't know when the strike's coming up, but. Uh, it's uh, soon to be out there. There is a, um, let's see, which one go through here? Oh, Joe put in here the rotary instructions. Oh, back to the phone. Joe Mama. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to move on, Joe. Do you mind? Do you care, Joe? No, 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 no. No, okay, fine. Uh, where's the sound on this one right here? This is the, um, the Bellingham mayor. Uh, he says the executive order to combat crime and drugs downtown. Let's see, she just on. moved it up there. Uh, oh, there it is. She. Oh, Eric uh, Wilkinson over there. King We're Five taking says. action as a city. In office barely two months, newly elected Bellingham Mayor Kim Lund is taking action via executive order. The order will open a new substation downtown for police and paramedics, toughen enforcement of drug laws, expand access to drug treatment in high overdose areas, and increase sanitation. All part of a comprehensive plan to reimagine downtown Bellingham. To have that presence downtown. And it should look like disruption of the criminal activity, but also store owners should expect that police officers will be stopping in. They'll be asking how things are going, and that's a foundation of that relationship-based community policing model. Mayor Lund says cities are defined by their downtowns, and she doesn't like what she sees in hers. Bellingham taking a hard look at itself with fresh eyes, understanding everything is not fine but change is on the way. The new administration in the mayor's office, you know, it's like that hope springs eternal. You know? it's, it, it's a start. Bellingham is also partnering with Whatcom County to respond to the opioid epidemic the same way the two entities coordinate for things like natural disasters. In Bellingham, Eric Wilkinson, King 5 News. I was in Bellingham the other day. Joe, have you been there recently? I've actually never been to Bellingham. Okay. It was like zombie town. It was sad. There at night, just a lot of broken-looking people. And then in the morning, going to this little breakfast place and just a lot of people just walking around, handouts, looking for handouts, got the jar there, shaking that in your face, and a lot of folks just sleeping everywhere, all over on the sidewalks and various parts. It's a beautiful little city, but obviously they've got a big problem. I don't know what percentage of the population are there doing that, but... Uh, Listen, if you give somebody something, they'll come back for it. So if you're uh, subsidizing a lifestyle like that, there's no reason to make a change.
So we'll see how the mayor does. I don't know if they'll go all out like they did in Marysville, right? We'll give you a choice. You get off the sidewalk in jail or you go to treatment. If you drop out of the treatment program, you're going to go to jail. Go into jail, come back out again. We're going to get you, rearrest you again. Just coming down on it because people are just sort of sick of it. So it's quality of life there. Hopefully it improves in Bellingham with uh, Mayor Kim London there. Writing to us is good and good for you. MyNorthwest.com, although Andrew says no one ever writes there. Take your letters and postcards, 1820 Eastlake Avenue. I think that's the address, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Joe? Yeah. Confirm. Or the Muckles Casino text line. <clears throat> you can always uh, text us, one 973 All are welcome. Uh, and how about this? Welcoming Jack Stein. We don't ever have Jack Stein on. Or actually, we've had him on once or twice, and there's a pretty good reason we didn't have him on again. But... Uh... <laughs> Hi, John. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Jack. Hi. Hi, Jack. He's back again. John, um, I told you yes. not to smoke a whole pack of cigarettes before you come on the show anymore, my friend. What are you I doing know. just chain-smoking uh, all morning? switched over to the unfiltered. So that's I, the problem. Uh, you sounded more and more... <laughs> Who was that guy that used to be on NPR? The guy that you do the voice of? Uh, the 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 little hope companion. What is it? Perry home companion. Oh no! Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, Garrison Keeler. Garrison, you sound no. like Garrison Keeler, but I like his a, cousin. I did an auction in Reno, and it was in a gymnasium, and the sound was not good. And there was fourteen hundred people, and it was hard. Is fifty two items, so I really really blew out my voice. But I'm here, and um, we brought you on, Jack, because we decided that, uh, or Sherry told me. That'd be good for us to respond to text messages live on the air. So we're pulling mm. back the big dusty purple curtain. Wait, this was Sherry's up. idea? <laughs> yes, because wow. I, I think I, I think Jack that it's important if people text in. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Joe does a great job of responding to most people. Yes, but it's it's nice if we can respond as well. So I thought it might be kind of fun. I know that we do the letters at the end of the show. If John were to sprinkle in some of the messages throughout the show. Oh, okay. This is crazy. It's crazy. It's groundbreaking. It's new. It's what I would history. What I would yeah. recommend is that Joe filter through the nonstop <laughs> barrage of racism, sexism, homophobia, and general debauchery that's in the text line on a daily basis, and then he send them to you guys, and then you guys respond to those. Because staring at the text line is kind of like staring at the sun. I mean, you can only look at it for so long before you get damaged permanently and you never. So for, for as a, you know, contemporaries in the business and as your friend, I would recommend that for your own mental health and well-being that you avoid the toxic waste dump that is the text line. Because for every kind, nice thing that somebody says, you're going to have people that just hate everything about you. It's almost like if if you could leave a comment section underneath like an aisle in the supermarket and somebody mm. really hated Coca-Cola, and they just wrote everything that they hated about Coca-Cola, and then underneath that there was like another everything they hate about Sprite. Only it's you. You understand? Mm. They hate yeah. you, and so you got to well, not look at it. I I told Sherry. I said the reason I don't really do this is it's like somebody taking a bucket of diarrhea. Yes, <clears throat> and throwing it on you. Yes, and then 
50 people take glasses of water and toss it in your direction. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the diarrhea is gone. Yes. But there's just enough. Maybe there's some corn left over or something. Uh, that's right. Gross. Well, so this is what... Uh, I'll share this story with... I think, John, I don't think... I, I to, I'm I, trying to paint pictures, Sherry. I'm painting <laughs> pictures. Well, you did a good job on that one. So I was doing a bit on the night's show, and my producer, Shane, and I were just trying something out. It was 9.30 at night, which is the segment that we use to try out new ideas. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Some of them we used as benchmark segments for the rest of the time that I did the night show. And so one night, I'm trying out a bit with Shane, and it doesn't go very well. It's about a C plus, B minus of a bit. And I think to myself, well, I, I could work with this. There's, there's something here that I might be able to work with as a segment idea. And so I go to consult the text line, because why wouldn't I consult the text line? Oh, and there's boy. a text message from a lovely woman who's a regular texter. And she says, is Jack on drugs again? Because this is the worst radio I have ever heard of in my life. <laughs> and someone needs to check in on him. And I thought, I can't be a creative person who's in an improvisational medium and have some random person out there. I can't have that input in my brain. Although it was hilarious and very funny <laughs> as yes. an insult, I can't have it in my brain. I suppose it would be like if someone, if John Coltrane was trying out a new jazz run or something like that, and someone went, are you on drugs again? This is the worst jazz I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> that's what it, <laughs> that's what it, that's what it's like. So I don't All recommend right. it for you guys, is what I'm saying. See? But I monitor it every day. Yeah, I mean, but I, Sherry, I have it on. Sherry, you got right. you got to break the habit. It's not good for you. You got to turn in the it time off. We, in the time we have been on, yes. someone has text. So Andrew, play some fun music, and then Joe, read what anybody has written in, in the last four years. Yes. Be very careful. Julie B says Jack has never liked the text line. I don't know why anybody even told him. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, Tin Hat Tony says, "Listen, it will." <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Okay, uh, hold on. Jacob? Yeah, I'm into it. Uh, Unicycle Mike, he always says something fun to say. He said, not all of us are toxic waste dumps, and that's 100% accurate. That's we're true. We're talking about the 1% that might throw you off your game. That's true. I love all the right. John and Curly show. I also love the Jack Spike show. So that's oh, great. that's yeah. sweet. Let's Anything see. about Sherry or, or Teeny? Anybody write about Teeny? No, there's one guy that absolutely oh, is, hates Teeny. the worst day of my life. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, sent, right, he sends a lot of texts. He does. <laughs> just just right. just, it's just no idea why she's on. Yeah. That you got to stop it. It's so juvenile. Crazy. Why would you do this? Well, this is the worst. She's not funny. Yeah. So if I start, okay. if I start talking about, let us just say my <laughs> dislike of former President Donald Trump, or let us just say like my support of the trans community, right? Or let us just say I advocate for Manny Ellis. Then I'm going to get a barrage of people who can't stand my opinions. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's, I don't really need to see their their, dis, their disdain for my opinions. What I really want to see is the is the counter arguments or the counter positions that are healthy and well thought out and measured in an adult fashion. So we have uh, Laura do that for us, so I can uh, skip yes. right over all the trash that people throw at me, and they think uh, it's coming to me, but it's not, which is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I pointed out to John that even if somebody writes something negative. They're still listening. Mm, and, okay. and that's it, it, sometimes it's the people that hate you the most that can tell you every detail of the show. That's why I call John. 
because he, he t- he's a, <laughs> that's why I call John every Saturday or Sunday, and he tells me everything he hates about my show. See? No. It's a- <laughs> no, in a, in a constructive manner. In a constructive manner. That's all. That's all. Well, he calls me every day to do that, so oh, don't yeah, feel <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, we'll do it today. We'll Perfect. just see how it goes. Okay. All right? Well, all I right. wish and- you both the best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate that. Remember, Sherry. Don't sit and cry about it. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. Thank you, Jack. Sure. Thanks, Jack. And I appreciate you having me on there on Tuesdays and Thursdays on your show from 2 to 2.25 or whatever it is. So that's nice. We have a three-hour show, John. It's just not that 20 minutes that you're on, right? I mean, (laughs) there's another part of the show that exists that, uh, that I try to mention John as much as possible. I try to bring John down about four or five notches. Every day on on the show, got a lot of John drops. Got a lot of John drops. I try to throw John under the bus because someone someone in this building's got to do it. Oh my God! Yeah, who needs the text line when you've got Jack? (laughs) Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. That's nice. You're welcome, my friends. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming on, Uh, Nate. By the way, right over there. Yeah, we'll find out why flight attendants have your notice system now. When you sit at a plane, have you sit up front? You see flight attendants when they sit, they're facing a course the opposite direction of you they get their feet together and then they sit on their hands so why do they sit on their hands why i'm sure people want to know that no one's listening listen all right listen well you'll find out all right all right but jack's stopping by to tell us not to look at the text line Sorry, this well, is like, I, this is going to be a bad idea on your part. Uh, okay, all right. I, I mean, I, I can filter them and read things that are good. Right, Joe can go. filter okay, them, fine. but right, then so don't look you. at it. Okay. There you go. Fine. Writing to is good and good for you, but not good for Sherry. You write to us at mynorthwest.com or coming into the... Makosu Casino text line one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six. Is my voice so annoying? Like I've been uh, gargling with razor blades, Sherry? No, it'd be more like gargling with gravel. <clears throat> no, you're fine. It sounds good. Let's work down lower down lower res- register here. Leave. So what's for dinner? Uh, okay. So if you've ever seen a flight attendant, but when they're landing, I said, you know, taking off and landing, they get into this weird sort of flight attendant mode. They're supposed to anyway, where they, they buckle in, they've got the five point harness and they're ready to take off. They're sitting, you know, upright because the thing is straight up. And they then, although I haven't seen this much, maybe a takeoff, but not landing. It always seem to be on their phones. They're supposed to sit on their hands. Why are they supposed to sit on their hands, Sherry? Well, it's called a bracing position, and this is supposed to be safer just in case there is some kind of turbulence or some kind of an event. I think we have a flight attendant explaining it. Oh, we do. Hang on. Let me get that for you, the flight attendant. Here we go. You're ready. Here's your flight attendant. Why do cabin crew sit on their hands while in their jump seats? Ever wondered why cabin crew sits like this during takeoff and landing? It is called bracing position. This position okay. involves fastening seatbelt securely, sit upright, sit on hands, palms up, thumbs tuck, and arms loose, and feet flat on the floor. The aim is to keep the body in a rigid pose so that if there was any impact from an unplanned emergency, the body is damaged less. <laughs> That's a rigid this pose. This keeps body movement restricted so that there is less chance of injury if there was an impact. During this time, they will also be going through the silent review. 
which so I have a question. This if this is a safer if this is a safer way to do it, why doesn't everybody sit on their hands? Oh, it's such a great question. That's Thank to you. ask myself that every <laughs> oh. day. Well, yeah, well, good. If you I had mentioned the other day that if they really cared about the safety of the, of the passenger, they would have everybody face the opposite direction. But they don't because they realize chances of crashing, dying, eh, very, very slim. Chances of people vomiting throughout the flight because they're flying, they're facing the opposite direction. They're more, they're dizzier, they're just less, you know, you know, comfort for the for the uh, passenger. They have everybody face the same direction. Southwest Airlines used to have a the first the first seat when you get on the plane. They used to have the ones that would like face you, and then there were ones that you were facing that. You remember those? Do you remember mm-hmm. those, Sherry? So you get in there and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God. It's just they're facing somebody or just inches away from the other person. You're knee to knee practically. They got rid of those two that were facing the opposite direction. But the flight attendants face the opposite direction because it's safer for them. But And why don't the rest of us sit on our hands? <laughs> because people don't listen to anything the flight attendant says. And imagine them going around, please sit on your hands. Please sit on your hands. Like people don't turn the phones off. They give you the uh, push your phone in the uh, you know phone mode or the airplane mode, which is unnecessary. Because think about it, if it was really that dangerous, somebody could say, "I'm not putting my phone in the in the in the plane mode. I'm going to take this whole plane down. I'm going to start texting. I'm going to I'm going to crash the plane." You could hold everybody hostage with your phone in your hand. But like 20 years ago, they realized the phones do not interfere with the inter- with the communication between the pilot and the uh, ground. But everybody, you know, please place your phones in the you know airplane mode, which is right. ridiculous. And, and most people ridiculous don't do it. And most people because, don't do it. I mean, most people forget. But it, the other thing is, if it were that dangerous, they would collect everybody's phones yes. before they got on the plane and say, "Right, they're taking three ounces it. of water away from you or something." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's I really mean, dangerous. But they say the reason that they don't want regular phone calls is because of air rage, that that has gone up about 30% in the last couple of years, and that for some reason, the phone calls create that. And I suppose it's because if you've got oh, somebody true. you want to, you know, you want to sit back and relax, and then somebody is on the phone having an argument with their kid or whatever, um, you could, you know, it's going to cause conflict where you'd say, could you, do you mind lowering your voice? Well, that's not going to make them happy. And so they think it's a better plan to just not have anybody on their phones. Well, I think it was like about eight months ago, they said, oh, you can talk on your phone if you wanted. And that's when I was like, forget it. I'm not doing that. I think the airlines were like, yeah, we're not going to encourage that. Because, yeah, you don't want to sit next to somebody, listen to half the conversation. It's very annoying. I don't know what it is, but the half a conversation is, is more annoying than listening to a total conversation between two people. It's like when you're on Amtrak and you're not in the yeah. quiet car and there's somebody. <laughs> and, and it's just you, you, you give them a look like, could you please? And they just talk louder and ugh. The quiet car. <laughs> it, is, it is true. Get on yes, that I, Amtrak to the right. It's a quiet car. No one's saying anything. No. People it's a sitting, car. A friend sitting next to a friend. Nobody it's talks. It's so loud. It's very disruptive. Yes, it is. Thank you. All righty. Um, there's a really interesting story coming up. Where's this thing, Joe, in here? Oh, the president of Kellogg's has said something that's upset people regarding cereal. I mean, what? I know. People are so sensitive. Mm-hmm. Find out what it is.